0: Welcome to Behavior Grooves, the podcast that explores human behavior through a
1: behavioral science lens. I'm Kurt. And I'm Tim. We like to explore why we do what we do with researchers, authors, and practitioners in a conversational setting in order to share their insights with you. Before we get into our conversation
0: for this episode, we just wanna thank you for checking out Behavior Grooves. We hope that you're inspired by listening to conversations that inspire us. And if you like what you hear, Please subscribe or leave a five-star rating or even write a short little review for us.
1: Yeah, and, and if you find that our conversations bring some meaning to you, to your life, to your work, head right over to our Patreon site at www.patreon.com forward slash behavioral grooves and choose a subscription level that's right for you. We would really, really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And Tim, we recently had a couple of subscriptions and we want to thank both Ira and Bonnie for their generous contributions. That support goes a long way and you guys are just freaking great.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Thank you, Bonnie. And thank you, Ira. We really appreciate your support and we hope that every listener gets inspired by their subscriptions.
0: Okay. Now, Tim, how about we head back to this episode?
1: Uh, all the way back. Good call, Kurt. Okay. So in this episode, we talk with two of the founding members of GABS, which is the Global Association of Applied Behavioral Scientists, about this new organization. And they founded it to bring some standards and regulation to the burgeoning field of applied behavioral science. Yes. And although they want to bring some minimum standards to the table uh, for those of
0: us who are in the business of applying behavioral science, who are often referred to as practitioners, They have an advisory board that includes some of the greatest living researchers, including Daniel Kahneman and Robert Cialdini. Gabs is getting off to a great start, and you might want to think about
1: joining as well. Yeah, you might. And as much as we focused on Gabs, it's worth noting that two of our guests are remarkable people in their own rights. Nula Walsh is a contributor to Harvard Business Review and is the founder of Mind Equity, which is a behavioral science consultancy based in Ireland. And Steve Martin is the co-author with Robert Cialdini and Noah Goldstein of, yes, 50 Secrets from the Science of Persuasion, which has sold 1 million copies, I think 27 languages it's been it's, uh, been translated into. It's amazing. Oh, so just a couple couple books yeah. sold, huh? Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> and Tim, we need to mention that both Nula and Steve have been guests on Behavioral Grooves before. There yep. you go. Yep. So Nula was in episode two hundred and three. Just happened, not that long ago. And Steve was in episode one hundred and ten with his co-author Joe Marks, and together they wrote "Messengers: Who We Listen To, Who We Don't, and Why." One fantastic, of, yeah. fantastic episode.
1: Actually, both of them. But, but man, go back and check those out. And and Steve's book, uh, Messengers, one of our favorites. Absolutely, yes, favorites. It, it hit our top ten uh, yeah. the year that it came out. Yeah. yeah. But in this episode, you're going to hear about what Gabs is all about, and about the future of behavioral science, at least from our humble position. Yeah, humble position that we are. And you'll want to hear that Steve has
0: come up with to refer to a gathering of behavioral scientists. So it's not a murder of crows. It's a flock of seagulls. It is a, you'll have to wait and see. You'll have to wait and see what a gathering of behavioral scientists is called. Is it more like
1: cows and horses? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I don't know what that means i am not i'm not sure it's much cooler than anything for cows and horses though so okay. you'll have to listen to hear that word that he chooses
1: Ooh. okay groovers uh with that we hope you sit back with a fresh pour of applied behavioral science certification and enjoy our conversation with nula walsh and steve martin See Martin and Nula Walsh, welcome to Behavioral Grooves.
2: Thanks Tim, it's great to be here.
1: It's good well, to welcome see both back. Of you. We are yeah. we're glad to have both
0: of you back <laughs> and together. This will be this will be really fun. And we're going to start with a speed round like we always. You guys have gone through this, you know the routine. However, we may have some special speed round questions for you today. So, we might uh we'll start. The first one is not special. This is one we've used with others, but uh a day at the beach or a day in the mountains, Nula, which would you prefer?
2: A day at the beach. Mm,
0: all right, all right, Steve?
3: Steve. Beach for me as well, please.
0: All
1: right. Bravo! Together. We got a
2: couple
3: beach. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we didn't say anything about that. All
1: right. Okay. Uh, so, Steve, uh, we'll start. We'll start with you on this. Uh, who has better musicians? Where do better musicians come from? England or Ireland?
3: Oh, England, and specifically Birmingham and
1: Manchester. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. And so, are we talking about the Hollies? Where, where are we going with this? Who, who who's gonna offer up? Oh no, excuse me, I sh- should be thinking eighties pop rock. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> with, with Steve. Who, who comes from uh, Birmingham and Manchester? That is, that is top of the list.
3: So, the Electric Light Orchestra, a
1: new order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. Okay, all right. Nula? Uh, Nula, how about you?
2: It has to be Ireland, of course. Uh, top of the list: uh, You two, uh, Enya, The Cranberries, Van Morrison, Sinead O'Connor. How about oh. that?
1: oh, just slam on the. Just more is better. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. I think. I, I think Nuala's just mentioned everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm not sure who else is left. <laughs> sorry. Oh, sorry there yeah. you go.
3: All right. All right.
0: Not to not to go down this road any further, but we are. Um, all right. Uh, and Nuala, I think you start this one. Guinness or Newcastle?
2: Uh, I don't drink Guinness, so oh. it has to be Newcastle.
0: Oh, oh! I okay. thought we'd go. Okay, okay. there we go.
1: Kurt, Kurt was looking to spark more, more international, um, you know, idiosyncratic Conflict here issues, between you know, the of... the Irish
0: beer and the and the English beer. Steve,
1: yeah. so yeah, I love beer. Just yeah, not
0: not, not, so not those two choices. Okay,
1: and, and Nula as a as a. Uh, you know a runner do you even drink beer
2: no and i'm going to give you a laugh i've never heard of newcastle beer how about that but i don't drink guinness so (laughs) i just voted for the alternative okay
1: so so no no smittics or harp or anything like that either no i wine
2: wine i'm a wine woman
1: okay okay any particular wine or is it you know anything that's red or are you an abc anything but chardonnay kind of drinker you know
2: no, probably first choice would would always go for a Malbec.
1: Okay, fantastic. Okay, we're just really just plowing through the speed round, aren't we? Here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, here's 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 our speed round question. I think who are we going to start with? A new the, one? Actually, either of them can
0: answer this one. This is this is a toss up.
1: All right. So, why is behavioral spelled wrong in the Gabs name on the website?
0: It has the. It has a, an. And has extra a U Extra
3: U in it. You
0: you spell it the the wrong
1: way. We, we spelt it the
3: global way. <laughs> um, we 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 took the world into consideration. Oh, when, oh when we
1: did that's so virtuous.
2: <laughs> well, we have. Well, we like, we we not- thought. We, Sorry. Well, I, well, there was another reason. Um, our articles are actually associated in Switzerland. So we had a Swiss motivation for it as well. So that's why we chose. So we did debate it.
1: Oh, oh you did. We did. That's interesting. Okay. Good to know. Wow. Okay. Well, let's start with, um, give us a, a, a definition and, and maybe we'll, we'll just start Sorry. with Nula since you're kind of on it. Nula, why don't you just start with a definition of what is GABS and what is GABS out to do?
2: Okay, uh, well, I guess you, you've touched on the first point, which is it's, it's a global, it's a global member-based association, and the difference is that there are quite a few associations for behavioural scientists, but this one uh, is different because it's for applied behavioural scientists. Um, it's a non-profit, and I guess what I, the, the main point is it's, its key goal is really to set an ethical standard of behaviour. So. We try to provide a kite mark, if you like, um, for bona fide practitioners in the field. Um, it's member financed and it's member based, and we have done it in conjunction with academia and practitioners. So you know, we can go on to talk about this, but we saw a major gap in the field in terms of you know being regulated. Every industry that you that you look across uh, outside of this field, you know, has a has a has a regulatory body, if you like, and. We thought that, you know, this was missing. There was no professional body. The, the experiments and the interventions that, that practitioners are applying basically aren't regulated. So it fills that, it fills that stewardship gap um, in the field. And at the end of the day, you know, we have launched it and it has been a huge success so far. And I, I should point out that you've Steve and I on the show here, but, you know, there have been a, a fantastic group uh, who have done this, and they're not here now. But but we do represent two out of out of the founding team of ten from a number of different groups, who I think uh, are certainly worth uh, referencing uh, on on the show here. I think
3: our origins came about from a conversation that took place about two and a half years ago now um, uh, at the London School of Economics, which for the past five years has been running a really successful. Uh, master's in behavioral science program, but an exec master's. So for people that wanted to you know, do a postgraduate degree, but at the same time wanted to kind of stay in the day job. And a number of people that were attracted to the program, which by the way is directed by Paul Dolan, were interested in understanding and getting a, a professional qualification in behavioral science so that they could go practice, they could set up a consultancy, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and we had an alumni event summer of 2018 it was, right, Nula? Yeah. Yep. And and there was several hundred people from the LSE there. and And one of the consistent conversations that came up, Tim came up, Kurt, was there are so many people out there now that are claiming to do behavioral science. And really the only kind of qualification they seem to have is they've read Nudge or they've read Thinking Fast and Slow <laughs> or they've read... Influence, and that seems to qualify them now to be able to go practice and sell behavioral science and You can understand how someone that 's you know invested a lot of time and a lot of money to go to uh, you know a Russell League University to get a master's in behavioral science is probably a little bit disappointed that their lunch is being eaten by someone who hasn 't gone through those stringent steps and and is is basically hawking a service on 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 on, on the basis of a, a book they've read, and you know if you think about it, you wouldn't dream of uh, you know taking advice from a lawyer whose only qualification is they've they've read I don't know law school for dummies, or you wouldn't <laughs> you, you wouldn't have a you know a heating engineer come in and install central heating in your home on the basis of the fact that they've you know seen a how to youtube video it, it, so we have those standards in plumbing we have those standards in law we have those standards in accountancy in all professional services why shouldn't we have them in behavioral science as well yeah. I, that was the origin of the conversation and i know that lots of groups around the world have been talking about that but it just seemed that there was a momentum building from that alumni group within the lsc to actually stop talking about it and start doing something about it, and and that was the origins of of what is now the Global Association of Applied Behavioral Scientists. So
0: so talk a little bit, uh, Nuala. You you started to talk about like how it came together and the actual components of it, but who who were the leading people? Because you had some really uh, prominent. Uh, behavioural scientists, that uh, researchers as well as practitioners on this. So uh, maybe talk about the board and, and, and how it came about.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's a great point, Kurt. And we have an advisory board, and our advisory board has those leading academics. And, you know, just to name a few, I mean, we, we, we were very lucky to have Daniel Kahneman, um, who, in fairness, you know, worked with, with a number of, worked, worked with Paul, uh, in the past, and you know, we made the approach, and you know, we were very keen to have him, obviously, because we think that he would have made a real difference to the field. But not only that, th- there were quite a few. Bob, as you know, Bob Cialdini. um Jennifer Lerner from from the Harvard Kennedy School, again, a superb, you know, leading contributor in the field here. Um, you know, uh, Maya Shanker, also from you know from from the White House, now worth Google. We've got quite a quite a few, um, and what we deliberately did was try to have a board and people who could represent the field, who would not just put a credibility stamp on it, but people who were really passionate about trying to make a difference, trying to make sure that not just that, not just that the field was future proofed, if you like, um, and made more legitimate, but but also helps develop the next generation of thinkers. So there are two components, to this, and Steve rightly touched on the first group, which is the behavioural scientists themselves, which need to be qualified, vetted, accredited, etc. But the other group that's seriously at risk here, if we don't have this, are clients, corporations who use behavioral scientists and the problem is that this field is so attractive it's exploding in popularity that people are rebranding themselves as either HR from HR or marketing to being behavioral scientists that people are going out um with 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 false labeling if you like and and because they're quite good at selling and we've got like the greatest hits of behavioural science, you know, in, in our back pocket, people and companies are believing these stories and taking people who may not be as qualified um, as, as we would hope and want them to be. So the risk is it is a serious business risk when some of these experiments fail in companies. And, you know, uh, there is a replication crisis in the field. There is a there, there's a lack of people admitting um, whether 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 experiments you know fail in in the field so can you imagine the implication when it comes to companies because then you really do have people's lives at stake whether it's you know citizens or whether it's employees with these experiments that can and have gone wrong i mean there've been quite a few well known ones you know from from the you know the, the world of prisons um but there've been many others in healthcare as well and i think this is a serious consequence so it's it's a two sided um initiative if you like so it, it, it protects the, the, the behavioral science from being sued, if you like, and also it protects companies. So that's why the, the the regulation really matters. But the board, but the advisory board, you know, their role is to help guide the field and to help work with with the exec with us. Um, and it's you know, Steve, myself, and you know, Torben Emmerling from, from advisory, effective advisory is on, on the on the exec as well. So what we do is basically we've engaged them and you know whether it's about writing papers whether it's appearing at events whether it's giving us counsel about what we should be doing differently um but but it's, it, they're they're an integral part of, of the gaps association
0: yeah it's interesting uh when i hear you talk about protecting businesses i i and the and, and steve you mentioned this too that any anybody just you know having read nudge or thinking fast and slow puts a shingle up and, and does it. And, you know, I think a lot of people might go, oh, that that's that independent uh, individual person that's just going out and doing it and you would never hire them anyway. But I have seen, and, and not to name names, but I mean, there are, there are some large consulting organizations that have a behavioral science arm that, that they've recently done. And you look at the people on that team and there are no behavioral scientists on that team they they have their their consultants or or other things and you you kind of have to wonder where that insight and background and do they have the qualifications that you're talking about so i can see the value that this brings not just from You know, that that worry, oh, it's gonna be that person who is, you know, going out and is an individual, you know, consultant and now they're gonna they're they're claiming they're a behavioral scientist on on this and they're gonna come in and help. But it is some of those other aspects where you kind of go, oh, they're a well-respected company and they have this arm, and yet do they really have the knowledge and the uh, expertise to be able to come in and consult and to Nula, what you said is it protects those companies from that as well. So I, I applaud you on that. And um, you know, as, as, as you're thinking about that, so is there a way for businesses then do, do, is there a, a listing? I mean, how, if, so if I'm a, if I'm a company out there and I'm going, I'm listening to this and I go, that makes sense. So now what do I do? Do I, do I have to look for a Gab certified you know, consultant—is there an easy way to find one? How, how does that work? What what does GABS do for that?
3: There is. Uh, th- well, there there will be an, <laughs> an increasingly easy way of finding a, a bona fide a behavioral scientist that is uh, a, a GABS approved member. Um, that's one of the benefits of of joining GABS. If you if you do have a legitimate set of experiences, and and one thing I think it's really important to point out here, Kurt and Tim, is that. GAPS isn't – we haven't set out to be restrictive. We haven't set out to close the door. Um, we're not only accepting membership from PhDs and, you know, those with advanced degrees. I think there's a a place and a very valuable and important place for those people that maybe aren't necessarily uh, in uh, possession of a, of a master's degree or a, a PhD in, in one of the behavioral sciences, but actually has – tenure in the applied fields. They've worked for 10, 20 years. They've they've made a contribution to the field. Um, they've maybe written a book. They've maybe uh, applied some insight in a meaningful way. They they have credibility themselves. It's um, they are more pracademic than academic. <laughs> I like and that I, and I, I like and,
1: that
3: too. Yeah. And I and I, and I and, and we absolutely want to open the doors and welcome those types of members as well. Um, so yes, I, I think, uh, it's, it's going to be attractive for, for organizations, organizations themselves with behavioral insight teams can actually join as well. There's an organizational facility for them to join. It's really interesting, just reflecting on what, uh, I was hearing you say about. Um, you know, organisations that claim to do behavioural science and perhaps don't have, uh, you know, a, a legitimate behavioural scientist or a, a, an applied behavioural scientist in their organisation. I think one of the reasons for that is that I I'm not convinced that we as an or, as an industry, behavioural science, has found a home yet within the organisation. Where do we sit? Are we part of HR? Are we part of marketing? Are we performance and operation? should we be informing strategy or are we brought in at the last minute to kind of polish and 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 you know make as optimal as possible a, a an idea or a strategy and and I think if we don't have a legitimate home no surprise that those in those departments are claiming responsibility for us claiming ownership for us and so you know I see situations where you know marketing organizations pr agencies communication companies creative agencies now have their behavioral science team you know there's, there's joe in the corner that red nudge so he's head of our <laughs> behavioral science team now right. okay. and i think one of the reasons for that is is that not only is it you know a growing field you know as Nula said it's growing enormously but the, the the cost of entry is is pretty low and if you're an agency and you're already speaking to the marketing departments of these organizations you've got a ready in whereas i think you know access for behavioral scientists to those kind of decision makers isn't perhaps as well-established and as mature as some of the traditional consultancies. Uh, and yeah. because we don't have that place to live organizationally
1: yet, I think that's adding to the challenge. Well, at the same time, and I want to direct this, this question to Nula, there are some who have argued that behavioral science should at some point, become transparent or invisible, I should say, in an organization, and should simply be adopted as in uh, among policymakers, uh, among HR, among uh, marketers, among U- U- UX, CX uh, designers. That it should it should simply be integrated into all of those functions. Uh, you know, what, what do you think about that?
2: I actually agree, Tim. I think it should organizations don't work like that because they're so siloed. Behavioral science is needed from everything from compliance to risk to legal, pick any of the functions. And there is a role for a behavioral scientist. But the problem is, how can a behavioral scientist, With so, I mean, you've got so many different subcultures in any organization that, you know, HR, you know, Sneer is probably the wrong word, but, you know, everyone, everyone puts, the, if everyone was drawing a circle, they all put their own function at the center of the of the circle. So there is functional rivalry. There's interdisciplinary discord. Um, people think in silos, you know, I'm an IT person, you know, why, what would I be doing with, what would I be doing with, 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 a marketing person? I mean, I used to integrate teams myself and I literally had, you know, designers, you know, compared to, to relationship managers and they were saying, well, what do I want to, what do I want to listen and speak to this person for it's absolutely everywhere so so to answer the question I think it's absolutely critical and what we need is to Kurt's point which was to Kurt's question which was how do, th- how do you know? You need to have, you need to be able to find these behavioural scientists who have a holistic view of an organisation and aren't narrow-minded in their own fields, like I'm the healthcare person, so, you know, I can only talk about healthcare or I'm the, I'm the incentives person, so I'll only speak to HR. We need these broad behavioural scientists who can go in and speak at the top, from the top level. This is board level. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Taranis. If they had access to a behavioural scientist would all of that really have happened? I mean, there yeah. are some horror stories. I mean, that, that whole book, the, the you know, the, the bad blood book, is just a horror story of what a behavioural scientist could have done with that company. You know, from the top down, fr- fr- from the day when the board decided to fire the CEO, and guess what? She persuaded them that, give me another chance, please. I mean, have you ever heard of that anywhere? Um, yeah. So, the lack of governance Having the behavioural scientist from the top down, I think, will safeguard um, safeguard companies in the future and is the most undervalued skill. there is, I'm 30 years working with corporates, and if they had more behavioural scientists, they would have avoided so much reputational damage and probably have made a lot more money um, in, into the bargain. So as far as it can be done, I think it can be done. But I'm sure, Steve, you probably ha- have something to add on this.
3: Well, I think we have a supply-side issue. There's not many of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, therefore, was it Urkelov that talked about the market for lemons? Uh, if, there's, if there's not enough supply of good stuff, then lemons will emerge and will start to fill those holes uh, where the opportunities lie. And I think we are, and I think it's important that we recognize, at the relative early stages of the promise that applied behavioral science brings. I, I know, and I know in previous episodes that that you, Tim and Kurt have broadcast that I've listened to and enjoyed that you've spoken to people about the history of of behavioral science, you know, right back to the, you know, Kurt Lewin of the 1940s and beyond. And, you know, then consumerism and behaviorism and and, you know, all those great names from the, you know, early 50s right through to the 80s and 90s in the present day. Um, there's been there's a rich area for us to mine but in terms of the applied opportunity so far we're, we're very very early on and there aren't that many applied behavioral scientists legitimate ones that are actually out there that are studying to the to the point where they say i want to do this for a living in the same way as a lawyer wants to study law uh, a, a doctor wants to study and practice medicine and all the time we've got that supply side scarcity i, I think this problem is going to continue to exist
0: Steve, I think you bring up a really important point there, this idea both of the scarcity aspect and then the lemons that result as a part of that because, hey, there's more demand than there is supply. So anybody, again, puts that shingle out and they may not have that qualification or the expertise. But there's also this aspect of it's a relatively new field and yes it has it has roots back into the 1950s and you could probably even really go back into you know well before that with some of the the psychology and various different pieces of it but it really hit its stride in the you know from a research perspective 90s 2000s uh, and then became popular with the introduction, as you said, of some of these books of Nudge and Thinking Fast and Slow and Predictably Irrational, and so it became more commonplace in the market. And one of the I I, I tell the story. I mean, I got invited into a senior level uh, executive meeting because they had read Drive by Dan Pink, which, it, you know, I, I can disagree with a lot of what Dan said in there, but what was nice is he brought in the, the concept of what behavioral science is and in other words, into a C-level suite that they had not thought of before. Um, that being said, I think one of the interesting pieces, and Tim and I have talked about this, is that at least, in my opinion, maybe you guys have a different perspective of this. I I see behavioral science being applied inside businesses. Actually, it's not inside businesses. It's, it's more of a consumer-facing side than it is actually applied internally inside of organizations. I see that as being a much more rich and uh, having having greater impact and and more focus within organizations. Do, are you guys seeing the same thing? And do you think there is value? Nula, you were kind of bringing this up and just some of the, the, the negative case studies that you were talking about is, is there a role for being internally looking at employees and our strategic thinking versus just a consumer facing? How do we get people to, you know, try our product or to, you know, adhere to our prescriptions or whatever that would be?
2: I, I think, Kurt, that's a great question. I think the and, and it plays to your point about why the field has grown. The the more visible, the more salient um, conversations and and messages from the field fall into that consumer research area. The public policy area gets a lot of attention and profile. Organization behavior does not. Or organization behavior, judgment, decision making, employees. There isn't an element. Of of employee behavior that isn't susceptible to, to these problems. Motivation. I mean, motiv- we're talking motivation of consumers, motivation of people in organizations. All the bad behavior, um, top down behavior. You know, all of the ethical conduct. I mean, name any of the the behavioral science mechanisms, and each one of them could be applied in an organization. But but as you say, the 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 challenge is that the C suite. Who basically would pay the bills for this? Even though I don't think we're half as expensive as some of those large consulting firms, <laughs> um, and we're not. But the problem—the problem is that on the one hand, it's a double-edged sword. That, that you know, the Daniel Pink's that you were talking about, or the nudge or, or, or influence, get you get get people excited, but that's where it stops. And we and Steve and I have talked about this a few times. Are we good as a field at selling ourselves? Well, on the one hand. You could say, yes, aren't we great? Look at all these bestsellers, you know, the best-selling books. But on the other hand, well, maybe we're not that good if we're not able to sell ourselves enough to the audiences and to a, a C-suite audience is very different Um Because basically you're you're showing them how warped they are and how irrational they are in their thinking, and really who wants to who wants to pay you to be told you know you're you're they're irrational? You know, no one wants to be told they've an ugly baby or 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 a dysfunctional team. Least of all that you're a dysfunctional leader. But the truth is that all of these you know all of these biases can prove evidentially how many mistakes organizations repeatedly and predictably make without having access to any. I mean, even basic confirmation bias. I mean. Even if you were to test your team, even if you were to test your team on status quo bias, bias, how how willing they are to change, how willing they are to adapt, how willing they are they are to innovate, every executive is smart enough to know not to jeopardise their career by talking about, "Hey, I don't want to change." So why would they do that? But as a as a senior leader, you actually are being you know fooled in many ways because because people are smart enough and smooth enough to cover up what the way they really feel about things and as a result the organization misses out on you know on pace of change trajectory and any kind of transformation so it is absolutely it is a a mine a minefield of of human error in organizations but hopefully that I think that's the next phase of 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 our field to try and take the message there
1: Earlier in the conversation, Nula, you brought up the idea that one of the things that Gabs wants to do is to ensure that sort of future generations are doing better. And I'd like to get both of your thoughts about um, about this aspect of not just not just certifying, but the implication is that Gabs could have uh, a guiding force in the in in education and application. Is that is that a fair? Um, Nuala, let me just start with you. You, you, you brought up the idea of, of the future generations. Is that a fair statement?
2: Um, education and guidance. I would start with guidance first, Tim. Um, Okay. Guidance in the first, I'll tell you what I've, I've noticed in the number of people who've been applying is I guess the age profile, uh, and Kurt, Kurt, you mentioned the, you know, independence. There's a, there's a huge appetite among younger really keen, hungry behavioural scientists, people who've got their their degrees are in the early stages um, and they really want to learn. So the first thing I think we're, we're offering is this cohesive group and network. I mean, even not that LinkedIn is your is your guideline for for, for 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 things, but you know, if you can if you, if you can measure, you can measure. And we've noticed a huge number of followers um, on LinkedIn. We've noticed a huge appetite, as I said, we now we now have applications from over 20 countries. Now there are a lot more countries left, but in the early stages, that's that that's that's pretty good going. So what we would like to do is to set this field up in such a way by using the advisory board by using, you know, the executive teams, all of their expertise to give people a better path. The education point is slightly different. And Steve and I and and the rest of the team have talked about this. We think we're too early in this phase. What we would like to do is get the membership up and running to offer you know events with leading speakers like yourselves, of course, um, you know, to attend, to give a different view and to give people a central port because that's what that's what GABS is beyond the accreditation. It's a central, it's a central port for people to come and share their successful case stories and to learn to learn the mistakes and maybe find a way to enter some of the into the private sector in a more in a more strategic way, delivering messages that people will actually hear. Um, but you know, Steve, you might have a view in terms of the you know the education aspect.
3: Well, I think uh, I think. Uh for those that have read anything that, that Joe and I have written recently, we've uh, we we do think that um, you know subjects like basic psychology are not introduced early enough into curriculums. Now I'm uh, so I'm enthused listening to to Nula and talking about GABS. of Could potentially see a role in the future for an organisation like the Global Association of Applied Behavioral Scientists encouraging. Uh, earlier adoption of of some of behavioural sciences basic lessons, uh, and so you know the controversial thing that I did go on record as saying, um, not that anyone was particularly listening, was that I think we've got far too many geography teachers in the world, um, and and what I meant by that was that most countries in the world uh, at age sixteen children will have spent upwards of about two years uh, studying geography at least, and then they'll, they'll take an exam. It's about 40%, I think, at 16 study geography. Uh, for psychology, it's less than 2%. So yeah. are we saying that geography is 20 times more important than psychology? Well, if you then look at the entries into higher education, um, the number of psychology graduates, the number of people that are going into study now, uh, you know, one of the behavioral sciences far outstrips geography. And so, you know, is one of the reasons why we're not maybe encouraging more people into this field and that we've got this supply side scarcity at the moment down to the fact that we perhaps aren't introducing something as fundamental as how you behave, why you do the things you do earlier on in the education curriculum. Um, It it seems to me that there might be a case for that. Um, And please, uh, for those geography fans out there, um, I'm not Suggesting that we replace geography teachers with psychology teachers, but maybe there's a maybe there's a a rebalancing that maybe uh, is worth talking about.
0: I I would agree with you, actually. So I'm I'm actually think that it's a less controversial issue than than maybe you think, because I think there is a lot of of elements when we think about the educational system, particularly in a primary setting, that we have an antiquated way of looking at that educational curriculum and we don't have decision sciences in there we don't have basic psychology that are these fundamental learning pieces that if if we did we may not have as many of the issues that we currently do in the world and I'm you know coming from a very american centric place here, but I'm just looking at the politics that are going on and some of the misinformation and people, you know, believing in these falsities or not believing in science. And partly because I don't think they understand how science works. And just that's that literacy is vital. And I believe I, I would wholeheartedly agree with you on on your your thoughts there steve and even from the perspective we got google maps why do we need geography come on i mean you can just well google indeed, map. Indeed.
3: Um, i i i think i can remember what on oxbow lake is but entirely <laughs> what i would do that that information i'm i'm not entirely sure but just to come back on your point and just to reinforce it this is not just me saying this i mean you, you look at steven pinker describes psychology as a hub science yeah Uh, and and when he talks about it he talks about psychology being in the very center and it in it's partly biology it's partly social science if you look at anthropology sociology economics but it's art as well (laughs) how do we appreciate art how do we form opinions how do we think i like that i don't like that i listen to that person not that person it really is he's exactly right it is a hub science and surely we should be teaching hub sciences at an earlier age and not. Allowing people to opt in with their wallets at age 18, 19, 20?
2: Yeah, I, I probably I think what Steve has described in, in in the classroom is reflected completely in the boardroom. The mm. overweighting of the uh, harder the harder skills, if you like, compared to the softer skills. And let's face it, people science it seems the word science doesn't hold that much rigor. Um, the word behavior is soft. Sometimes it's gender related, um, and people see it as a soft skill. So, you know, do you see do you you see a CFO at the table? You know, with finance, you see a CRO for risk. Do you see as many CMOs for marketing or a CHRO for human resources? You don't. If you look at the composition of non-executive roles, how many of them are looking for hard audit um, and, and risk skills? There are very few now who although there are a few, um, and it is growing, but it's it's too few, who actually have an appreciation for culture. And and when I say culture, I mean, behavioural science would fall into that that category. But there is still a very strong overweighting of the hard skills rather than the soft skills. And that is permeated throughout organisations with, I guess, an overweighting of um, uh, IQ over EQ. So I think there is more than one challenge. I think, and Steve is absolutely right. It does start in the classroom, but it gets reflected, you know, as I said, in the boardroom and also in the courtroom. So again, it, you know, these are very big topics and very big areas, but huge areas where behavioural science can make it can make a significant and material difference, not just to individuals, but but to organisations and society.
0: Yeah, Nula, it's you remind me. I did work. 20 plus years ago now, um, where we were going in and we were working with a, a new CEO brought into a large restaurant chain, and he made the statement, he said that the hard skills are now easy and the soft skills are now hard. And we worked on that. We were working on, you know, looking at those softer interpersonal skills and various different things. And the sad thing is he was gone within a year. Like the board said, no, it it didn't get the immediate financial results. Therefore he was gone. And if you look at that, that is the situation. This is the, the, the payoffs of this are not an immediate payoff in many instances or to, to a degree, they're not that immediate payoff. And so you have a, a executive level leadership that are looking for things that have more of a short term, Payback, and I think behavioral science is not. Yes, we can nudge things, and we can show some really powerful uh, impacts on different pieces. But when we actually integrate it throughout the organizations, the the, the long term impact on that, it, you talked about this is. In our decision making and our risk and and respectability for the company and long term interactions of who stays and who leaves and a variety of other factors that don't happen overnight and I think that's part of the issue.
3: So. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while for us to be seen less as the polish and more as the
1: chassis. That brings me to a, a question that I think that we're kind of bubbling up naturally here. And what are the biggest challenges that we face? in behavioral science in the coming decade?
3: Yeah, I think we've kind of already alluded to one of them, which is why uh, Gabs was formed, which is um, to have some sense of professionalism and legitimacy and credibility, and and not just to be um, that... Add on that we bring someone in that's, you know, read a popular book. So I, I think we've got a lot of work to do there. Um, and I think all these things we've talked about, uh, from the, you know, the starting point of, of education, how do we bring more young, bright, smart minds into our discipline and our industry? That's going to be really, really important. How do we engage with those that move into higher education? And how do we embrace, uh, those practitioners out there that are doing? a really great job that do want to represent the highest standards of our of our science and our discipline and and how do we build a a community of them uh, so that we we have a voice and we're not necessarily being crowded out by those individual operators that perhaps are just looking at that next buck in the, you know in the same way as you know Nuller says that short-term focus that boards often have um a lot of practitioners out there that perhaps don't have a legitimate rationale for being considered credible, they, they they too have a, a short-term <laughs> focus. You know, what can I sell today that's going to pay the rent, pay the mortgage, these kind of things. So I think that's that's certainly one place. And I think this other idea that um, we need to be prepared to increasingly move to bigger, chunkier, naughtier, vastly more complex issues like organizational change, like climate change, like ethics and risk and all these other things. And 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 be prepared to step into that deeper pool and recognize that we don't have all the answers and we probably never will have all the answers, but we can be part of the answer. Um, otherwise I think, you know, we we do run the risk of potentially being those people that you bring in at the last minute to optimize a strategy as opposed to those folks that have a legitimate role, and a voice at the table to inform it. Um, that's, yeah. I think, the inherent yeah. challenge at the moment.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I- I'd probably add to that, um, and I suppose as, the first thing that, that I thought of as, as we were going through this was, was the positioning. And maybe it's that point that, you know, we say we're not good at positioning ourselves. Well, for me, You've got data science and you know data analysis that has just boomed big data. So if we marry behavioural science with data science, we actually have an in. So it's that EQIQ. If you just if if we position ourselves as the other side of that, I think we're building on something that's already there, and I think that could be a very strong angle that that, that we could take. The other and and every challenge is the opportunity as well. Of course, I think a challenge which could be an op- a challenge is that we create a star culture here in this field that, okay, we know all the big names, but that's not, that's not everybody. There's an awful lot of terrific work being done by other people. And maybe the field needs to stop looking in the mirror so often and just to each other and start to look for, look, look out a little bit more. So I feel that it's a very inward looking field, which is, uh, which is not surprising because this is all about looking at the self and it's psychology based and we analyze ourselves before we analyze anyone else. So we're all really interested in the self, but that can stop us looking outside, um, outside of ourselves enough, which I think is is something, um, you know, that that might be, be looked at as well. Um, and the other one is I I, I would build on, on Steve's point. I think some of the some of the interventions that that, that are looked at, are small scale, are short term. There are massive problems. Okay, Steve mentioned, you know, climate change, but there's domestic violence, there's genocide. There's these huge societal problems, and it doesn't. And it it doesn't mean that, you know, we can't make a difference in these areas. Now we're getting an opportunity with the vaccines, um, to do something in that phase, fa- in that space. But in terms of these other areas, I think you know the role of behavior. We're only getting started, and I think that opportunity is there but if we st- if we stay too narrow if we don't penetrate the large organizations with this thinking because the large organizations they're the donors they're the funders they they they, they have massive influence with governments um, and with other industry associations i think we're missing a trick so that for me is we, we just need to think of ourselves in a more holistic way and go to market in a more holistic way for for larger scale impact
3: I think Nuala makes a really good point about us being outward looking and we need to get better at that. And we perhaps need to seek assistance and training in that as well. I was, I, the reason that you saw me laughing uh, kind of off camera a moment or two ago was that as, as, as Nuala was, uh, was, was, was talking, I was reminded a few weeks ago, I was asked the question, uh, what is the collective term for a group of behavioral scientists? And the first word that came to mind was A reflection
0: that's a fantastic
1: term Wow Wow and I'm, with the- I yeah I just I'm just like I'm just diving in on that I'm just like letting that <laughs> soak in
0: so so here here is the 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 I think this is the most important question that we could have all all this episode um, and I'm amazed that Tim hasn't asked it already so does gabs have an official song and, and if they don't <laughs> Do they want Tim to write one?
2: <laughs> we would That's- love Tim to write one. Tim, the challenge has now been set.
1: Oh my god! Total setup, Kurt. You are so in the shit for that one. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. Yeah,
3: uh, okay, we well, do. We do not. We do not. But uh, we we'd we'd seek your uh, wisdom and counsel on uh, perhaps thinking about one. I to me, I think it should have the word open or welcome or something like of, of that sentiment in the title.
0: And a reflection in there, you know, yeah. you have, yeah, there you go. We will bring that all together. We'll, 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 we'll come back to you. Uh, and, and Tim will have uh, his, his entry in for the official oh. Gab song um, oh, as that. we go. Love
3: that.
1: Oh man, <laughs> oh, this, the retribution is going to be Swift and hard, let me just tell you that. Yeah. Well, Let's talk thing, about well, play- Tim,
3: Tim, once you've actually um selected the song for us, perhaps what we will be able to do is get our, our website people, uh, so every time someone goes to gabs.org to register and then to, to join maybe the, the theme tune that you've selected for us plays at the same time.
0: I can see it happening. That's
1: good. That's better than having them memorize the theme song and have to recite it, you know, at their, at their (laughs) certifications. Before every
0: conference that you guys have, everybody gets up and sings the,
1: the theme song. Yeah. No, Uh, let's, let's talk about playlists. Let's, let's talk about playlists. Nula, what, uh, what are you listening to these days?
2: Um, well, my, m- mine is pretty eclectic. I have, at the moment, if I was to open it right now, last few songs I listened to were I had Mike and the Mechanics. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Mike I'm and the Mechanics, I like that haven't one. heard
0: that name in ages. I know, yes. I know.
2: Uh, Fleetwood Mac, believe it or not. So I heard The Chain on the Radius and I put some more on. So I've been listening to a few of those. God, I love that album. So yeah. mine have been taking me back a little bit. And then I think I also have... I always have Rod Stewart because I once upon a time I saw Rod Stewart in Vegas and he was a lot better than I had remembered. So um, I thought Rod is always Rod always brings you uh, brings you up. So fantastic, it's, so I th- yeah. So it's it's pretty it's it's pretty eclectic. I think there's a bit of Hosier in there, Queen. Nothing Irish. I, I hasten to add.
1: <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. How, how about you, Steve? What's on your playlist these days? Well, actually, I, I'm.
3: the same theme as NULA uh, uh, that we've been doing with, with the in-laws is uh, you know, on these weekly zoom calls that everyone has to have now and they live some, you know, way away from us is, you know, we're kind of exchanging, you know, what are you playing on Spotify? And they're, they're having a bit of, you know, a kind of trip down memory lane and they've been playing us some of the songs that they were listening to when they were dating. And it was really, I mean, so a couple of the, the artists uh, are super well-known, uh, but it just reintroduced me to, to them. So uh, uh, The Who, uh, they're big fans of The Who. And the other one, actually, which... Because um, you won't, you only ever think about this person as the, uh, the singer of one of the James Bond uh, theme tunes, Carly Simon. But huh? she has got a pretty extensive and impressive back catalogue. And... It's amazing. Um, so we've been listening to some of those. And then one name that I'd never heard of before, way before my time, uh, but, but, but our in-laws, uh, the moment they played this, I, I think on Spotify, when they like playing a song, it suggested another one. They went, oh my God, do you remember this? And it was just, just wonderful to, to look. It's almost like they wanted to say, can we come off the Zoom call for a minute because we want to go and dance together with a song. <laughs> it was um, a song by Joan Baez, Diamonds and Rust. It came up, we started playing it. Took, and, and so it's it's opened up a uh, a kind of a whole set of different avenues of very, very way back songs that ordinarily I wouldn't listen to. But as a result of lockdown and, and kind of sharing the in-laws uh, playlist. So that's where that, I'm at. It,
1: that song is Joan Baez's um, homage to her romance with Bob Dylan. Oh. Yeah, which was a, a, a many-year you know, on and off kind of a thing. And uh, it came away kind of bittersweet for Joan. She was, you know, it, uh, she doesn't say that it's all rust, but she doesn't say that it's all diamonds either. So.
3: Oh, well, yeah. well so, just- so, so maybe my, my mother-in-law sees my father-in-law um, as her Bob Dylan.
1: Maybe that's <laughs> <laughs> not going to ed- editorialize on that one. Nope. Yeah. No, definitely not.
0: All right, Steve Nuala thank you this as always you guys are are wonderful guests with great insights and and thank you for what you're doing with gabs and just the the field in general i think it this is a opportunity as as we as you guys pointed out very very nicely that hey we're we're moving into the future and and as part of that movement Uh, this is something that we saw as as necessary and thank you for taking uh, those steps and moving it forward and we we are big fans as always and so uh, we'll uh, thank you
3: we'll be looking out for your applications gentlemen
2: thanks to you both it's been really great to be here so really appreciate it thanks a lot
0: to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our discussion with Nula and Steve, have a free-flowing conversation, and talk about whatever else comes into our gab certified brains. Don't you love Oh, but love wait, that. We're, we're, we're not actually gab certified yet. We have our applications in, and we're almost there. Maybe, it's a, it's Maybe they'll hurdle. accept us. It's a high hurdle. I don't know. They might accept you and not me. <laughs> Dude, you've got the PhD. If anybody, yeah, but gets you in. have have the knowledge. You you are the the rock star of our, of this duo. I'm just the
1: I'm the pretty face. You know. You're, so like, you're the lead singer that's out front getting all the kudos, but I'm the guy doing all the musical arrangements to make it sound good. Is that is that kind of what you're saying?
0: You you're playing the bass, the guitar, the drums, <laughs> the piano. Um, you're actually singing lead on all of the tracks on the album. And I'm just up there lip syncing uh, in, in the actual
1: show. You okay. Know? It's my so- beautiful
0: hair. That's why. That's <laughs> <what it> gets,
1: <laughs> yeah, I can, I can hear it actually in the breeze. Um, <laughs> so, so where should we start our grooving session today?
0: Well, let's just talk about what the hell Gabs is doing. I mean, they, it, it is this, organization that is going to, you know, trying to set the standard um, around applied behavioral scientists. And I think that this is something we've talked about in the past, is that this idea that anybody can put a shingle up and just say, you know, I'm a behavioral scientist, and there's not any way of really going back and saying, well, what is a behavioral scientist? What is the certification or the qualifications that you need in order to call yourself a Behavioral scientist, and so yeah. this is what Gabs is setting out to do.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love. Uh, I think it was Nula that or Steve. Both of them kind of argued that you know we got, we got certifications for doctors and lawyers and plumbers and carpenters and truck drivers and you know there's guilds and unions that that signify certain levels of expertise. So why the hell not behavioral science? Yeah, uh, you know there's there's this part of me that's just like why not? So I I'm really glad that that uh, Steve and Nula and their co-founders and uh, have agreed to set up this association to start that monitoring process.
0: Well, and I think it's important for organizations who are looking to bring people in, because I think uh, this idea that we talked about that, hey, I read Nudge, I read Predictably Irrational, Therefore I Am a Behavioral Scientist Practitioner, because I listened yeah. to Curtin and Tim talk about it on Behavioral Group's podcast.
1: That you should know, be a red we,
0: flag right there. Well, <laughs> we, we, we love that. We love that there's this interest in it. I think it gets into the part where what qualifies as an actual behavioral scientist, and what does that mean particularly in an applied setting where you're looking at actually in an academic setting, you know, I think there's, there's further rigor, but in an applied setting, what does that mean? And, and who can put that shingle up to, to say that. And what I do appreciate, because this is the piece that always worries me about this is that it becomes this little exclusive country club that you need to have a, uh, master's degree or a PhD in this. Um, and I don't think, and what I love is that they have said, no, that's not what we're looking for. There's there's a lot of knowledge that has been garnered through actually people doing the work over years and years and years and being part of the community of building up this knowledge and sharing this knowledge and expanding on this knowledge just through the field work that they're doing. the the work that is so important and recognizing some of that.
1: Yeah, it, I could easily imagine the field breaking down without some sort of oversight, without some sort of cohesive view of it, and I think that that is that is absolutely a, a good thing and to take into account that there are many people who are deeply steeped in knowledge and practice but don't have a PhD is a Big positive for me as somebody that doesn't have a PhD. I got well, talked you, out of the PhD. You yeah. are a pracademic academic, as Steve, oh, yeah. as Steve <laughs> mentioned. Right? I love
0: that the idea oh, yeah. that you're not an not necessarily an academic. You're a prac academic, and and that which is a really good piece of this. I think. I think the one piece, and we didn't talk to this about them, but we we can definitely reach out and and, and talk to them, is. So, what is the the path? you know you think of of, as you said, a carpenter, right? You have a journeyman carpenter and then you have an apprentice carpenter.
1: you start with and, apprentice and then you move up to journeyman, right? and then, yeah, yeah, then I mean, yeah. You, you have you
0: have the master and then you have the apprentice and and is there a a way of giving a designation for those who you know, haven't gone back and gotten a masters and haven't spent ten years of their life doing this, but they are they're steeped in 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 researching this and in trying to apply it and they might have been yeah. doing it for a few years. and is there another designation that is necessary? And maybe maybe that comes as as the organization um, matures and that we start getting this in and th- at this point, uh, we just need to start setting this this bar and figuring that out. but that's something I could see, you know, would be beneficial. I think there's a lot of people out there. I think the interest in this has been growing um, significantly, exponentially to a certain degree. And we need to allow and figure out how to bring those people into the fold and into the fold quickly, not, not having to necessarily wait for that 20 years of experience before you can be considered a uh, practicing practicing behavioral scientists.
1: Yeah, uh, boy, that's that's really well said. I also wanted to touch a, a bit on Steve's comment about when he was talking about how the group got formed and mm-hmm. how they were uh, having. He was, I think, he was having a conversation with like Paul Dolan at the LSE, at the London School of Economics. Which <laughs> yeah, just, just having so... a, just having a simple conversation with Dolan and yeah. these <laughs> others. That's, <Yeah>. No, biggie. <laughs> so uh, aside from the you know, the cartoon book kind of you know, amazement of just thinking about that informality. It's collaboration, right? It's we I come know. together, we talk about things, we exchange ideas, and things bubble up. And and it's hard during the pandemic to make that happen. It's certainly not going to happen in this way. But I just think that this is a really cool thing. And we need to, We. I just want to encourage more collaboration in the yeah. world. You know, if you've got ideas, share them with somebody, talk to somebody about them, right? Get them out there. Behavioral groups wouldn't exist if you and I hadn't had a conversation about what, about, actually, it wasn't even about what could we do together. It ended it ended lunch ended with, and by, and you saying, well, why shouldn't we do something together? Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, what should we do? And then (laughs) we brainstormed and had a bunch of silly ideas and this, this floated to the top. Well, this didn't even float to the top. It was the meetup. And
0: then this was just a, you know, happy accident that happened afterwards. So, (laughs) you know, that's, but you're right when you bring the right people together and you start just having those conversations. And what I loved is the informalness of You know, we just had a conversation, started talking about this. That's where creativity, where new ideas, where inspiration can happen, where you are in a group setting and you're bouncing these thoughts, these ideas that then click something in your brain and light up different, uh, you you know, neurotransmitters get fired and you're going off and all of a sudden, you know, new connections are made and the neural networks are all going off. And wow, all of a sudden you end up with this new crazy idea that isn't really crazy and is actually fantastic. So, yeah. get out there get out there and collaborate people (laughs) collaborate (laughs) with us too we love we love we'd love to hear from you so just anyway yeah all right what else what else
1: (laughs) i i was i was loved the conversation that nula brought up uh when she was talking about um the the application the business of application right of of where social sciences have made their way into business and so she kind of teed up this idea of name she said, uh, name any of the behavioral science mechanisms and each one of them can be applied in an organization. Mm. So, you know, so it just got me thinking about, well, we've been applying, you know, psychology has been a part of, of advertising for a long time, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so, and, and it goes back quite a ways. I think it goes back to the 1890s when, when 1890s. Harlow, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like, great great grandpa time man that's all oh psychology is, is even psychology that old come on it's like these like sigmund freud was midlife you know i don't know, was, you know <laughs> it, 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 at that point In his cocaine years was that when he could was? have been <laughs> could,
0: could, have, could have been could have been but i'm sorry i i, I digress so yeah well, so the idea
1: so there has been so this history goes back a long time and there i think it and that's in advertising specifically but right. there's a part of me that feels like it's isn't it about time that we started doing that with with hr and marketing and cx and yeah we we could use the scientific method to improve those
0: right so so going back to that initial piece right i mean there were people that were bringing this study into the real world and applying some of the Theories and practices uh, yeah. and getting that in. And to that point, I think you're absolutely right. We need to start taking these insights that were that, you know, these wonderful academics that we talk to uh, are learning and discovering and apply those into the real world. And as we talked about, I think the customer facing side has gotten it much more Than the internal facing side within organizations that the that the marketing, advertising, UX design, product design, those things that touch the customer are much more steeped in behavioral science and bringing behavioral science insights into it than, say, the HRs, the uh, systems, design, even engineering uh, process components internal to an organization. And even the C-suite, right? Where the C-suite is looking at strategy, but they're not necessarily taking a behavioral science lens to that strategy. And those are places where if you think about the impact that that can have, that's pretty damn. That's pretty damn good.
1: It is. So, it, even, even though we've got a history of bringing science into the business world. I think Harry Hollingsworth in the 1930s had this, this study on caffeine that was funded by Coca-Cola. And he was really kind of nervous about doing the study because it was being funded by Coca-Cola. And so he set up a double-blind scenario. He used really? science to make sure that he was adhering to something that would could, that could be objectively proven, right? Yeah. Uh, whether or not, you know, caffeine had an effect uh, on us and what what the effects were. So when we do this, when practitioners, when the business world adopts a scientific method, we get a lot out of it. And, yeah. and you and I have talked about this a bunch, but man, I want to encourage businesses to not only focus on what, but take some time to focus on why. Mm-hmm. Ask the academic question. Try to understand why, because all of our our client relationships, all of our internal relationships with the internal customers, the the um, the employees, HR could benefit so much from understanding more about why and not just about what and how. As far as I'm concerned,
0: yeah, I I can't add to that because that was just beautiful. Yeah, I know and, that, and, and absolutely <laughs> on target. It's, it's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think about this. I mean, hey, business has brought science in. There's there's business academics that you know all of the those people that are coming in. I think the piece that we're saying is, look, there's a role for the social sciences. There's a role for behavioral science that needs to um, be addressed within organizations and and by different parts of the organization than it currently is. So,
1: yeah. And uh, my last comment, uh, I, I don't know what you want to wrap up with, but my last comment is that I was so glad that Steve has been thinking about what to call a group of behavioral scientists. Oh, I, I think that the idea of a reflection is more than just kind of clever hyperbole or, you know, uh, analog I think it's a really cool idea to think about. Oh, and we had a reflection of behavioral scientists in to talk about <laughs> this. I could just hear it
0: playing out. I just thought it was cool. So that all right. So a gathering of behavioral scientists is called a reflection. Yeah, we're going to we're going to push that. We're going to try to get that into the lexicon. Is that uh, what we're saying? Yes, absolutely. Yes. All right. So you heard it here first, folks. It was Steve. Steve, uh, and he brought it up. But we're gonna be we're gonna be the the, you know loudspeaker for it. And we're going to get it happening. All right. So, we are a reflection of behavioral scientists. Ah, Yes. There we go. So, I just want to make an apology to any geography uh, teachers or academics out there. We don't mean to disparage you, um, Uh. but there is something around this idea that, hey, um, we need to expand. We need to get more education earlier in people's lives about behavioral science, about psychology because it is, as was mentioned, it's this hub part of yeah. of our world that so much of human interaction and human behavior is rooted in the behavioral science understanding of that behavioral science and it's just something that we need to really think about and take a, a another view. And it's not saying the geography isn't important; it is. But uh, we also have to think about the importance of of behavioral science. So
1: with and that, thank, yeah. Well, and thank goodness. Just one, one last thought about this: is thank goodness that people like Annie Duke are taking some action to bring decision making to grade school students like with her alliance for decision education which is right now only based in Philadelphia you know her home Uh, it's we need more of that we need more curriculum you know um, system wide types of of curriculum around uh, psychology and decision making so yeah cool okay with with that we got a bonus track coming right up and Kurt is going to read the beautiful bonus track today. (laughs) Is it beautiful because you wrote it?
0: (laughs) Hey Groovers, this is Kurt with your bonus track and groove idea for the week. In our conversation with Steve and Nula, we started with what GABS is as an organization and with the definition of what GABS is the Global Association of Applied Behavioral Scientists, it's a governing body that is open to those who demonstrate their ability to ethically apply behavioral science to their work. We continued the conversation on a more philosophical note to talk about what is working and what is lacking in applied behavioral science these days. We all agree that there are many opportunities to expand the application of behavioral science in many fields, and we believe that education is critical to making that happen. We like Steve's somewhat controversial comment that students need more psychology and less geography. Although geography is important, uh, we know he was only kind of kidding. For all of the biases and heuristics that have been revealed in recent years through behavioral science, we can imagine a future that brings more psychology to the classroom of younger and younger students. All right, for your groove idea for the week, we'd like you to think about what you're doing to apply behavioral science to your job, on your team and at your company. Or maybe you've applied some behavioral science in your personal life. Have you tried using a tiny habit that relies on a trigger, like doing a push-up after every time you've gone and used the bathroom? Or at your work, have you found that by changing the default in your team meetings from what problems do we need to solve to what opportunities for improvement do we have this week? And is that making a positive difference on your team's productivity or morale? Let us know how you're putting a cool behavioral science hack to use in your work or life. And we'd love to hear about it. With that, Groovers, it's time to wrap up another episode of Behavioral Grooves. We hope that this week you take what you learned from our show and go out and find your groove.